Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan, the movie, the the, the podcast where uh, we'll take one sixth of a year to talk about a whole year's worth of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how uh, welcome. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And we're, of course, happy to have you here. We, uh, we feel confident. I feel confident. I don't know about you, Ryan. I feel confident. We are getting through 2021 today. We are going to wrap this bad boy up, talk about some uh, some pretty cool movies, um, some other less than cool movies, some movies that might be based on the incredible true story. I don't know if they are or not. Maybe, uh, you know, um, maybe I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, maybe we'll see. Um, and uh, I guess I guess maybe if by the time we reach the end of this podcast, we find out that a meteor is on its way, we could say, oh, well, hey, it's kind of ripped from the headlines. Yeah, who knew? Um, but uh, yeah. So. Um, all right. Let's jump right into it. Uh, we are going to first talk about some uh, some movies, uh, a chunk of movies directed by women, starring women, I think, for the most part, starring women. Yeah, starring women. Um, and uh, what, let's talk about the world to come first. Uh, uh, let me, yeah, let me give you the plot synopsis on this one. Lay it on somewhere, me. somewhere along the mid nineteenth century American East Coast frontier, two neighboring couples battle hardship and isolation, witnessed by a splendid yet testing landscape, challenging them both physically and psychologically. So it's an early Frontiers movie. It's very, very poetic. There's tons of voiceover in this film. Um, normally, that's a, that's a sign for some of us where we're like, mm, mm-hmm. this is really pretentious and I'm not going to like this. Or, or this is really pretentious and it, this is my cup of tea. <laughs> Either way, super pretentious. Just really super pretentious. It's really like having a really smart person read a novel to you. Um, but it's but it's really pretty. It's a really beautifully shot film, and that what they they're showing this sort of frontiers life of a of these farmers trying to eke it out in sort of a dangerous world is interesting, and. As you can imagine, there's something of a, a tragic connection that happens between these two wives of these frontiersmen, and in a world where there's no, there's just no place for such a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's about the emotional struggles that go along with that. And I thought it was pretty good. There's really good cast. Of, it's four main characters. Really, you you interact with a couple other people, but it really is these. This two couples, these four people. Um, mm. Who's the main woman in it? She's really, really great. 
Uh, well, yeah, the the two main women, Catherine Waters, uh, Waterston and Vanessa Kirby. Yeah, but Catherine Waters, really both super cast to type. Um, Catherine Waterston is this person eking out this sort of humble life who's had some tragedy. Most of the tragedy in the women of these times life have typically have to do with child rearing, you know, either giving birth or, you know, accidents that happen or, you know, it's just, it's the, mm-hmm. it really is the wild West and it's a, a sort of unfeeling and cold world that it presents to you. Uh, and, and Vanessa Kirby's, um, although a kind of a simple lady herself doing a similar kind of thing is comes across as all the more sort of worldly and sophisticated. And so that it, it really is about those two ladies connections. And I don't have to go into the details about what that implies. Cause you get to discuss, you get to discover it as the movie goes on. It's totally a character piece. And mm-hmm. the two husbands have rather thankless roles, but producer actor, uh, Casey Affleck's big reason why this movie exists. So we'll give a shout out to him. He plays Waterston's husband. Um, in a really interesting human way and in a sensitive way, mm-hmm. that's pretty that it that makes this film interesting. There aren't any monsters really in this movie. It's it's the it's the times that are monstrous, you know, and it's almost right. a, it's almost a survival movie in that way. But I liked it. It's pretty, um, very self assured, but just. Man, Catherine Waterston just talking in your ear, but she never shuts up. And it it that's mm. not for that's not for everybody. It, it, it even me, it's like, you know, let the thing happen a little bit. Don't you don't have to tell me every damn thing. And of course the the but it's still really really well written and as a narrative, as a character in your vo- in your head telling you a story, it is very effective and it really really well written. Like just for the dialogue, it's based on a book. So I assume that stuff's all right out of the book. First person. Let's just, it's only one way to, or there's two ways to do it. Really. If you can't half ass it, you either embrace that first person aspect of it and do what they did in this, or you jettison it, which really is a challenge when that's the strength of the material you're you're working with. Um, I thought it was pretty good, but it it won't be for everybody. It's really low budget indie film. It's got some big movie stars in it. They all do these days, but Mm -hmm. I like that. I like, I like when actors who could have chosen this or that and made a little more money, choose something little like this that needs a champion. And yeah, this is only, uh, and this is only the director's second, uh, second film that she's directed and like i say casey's been accused of some bad on bad onset behavior and some other things um not so much uh like her sexual harassment but just sort of being a jerk when he's been the director of stuff which he has been a couple of times um again he, he sort of made this movie happen so his heart is in it and his performance is even though he's a he's a recognizable face in an important role it's you still feel the sort of artistic integrity that comes with knowing what your role is and and taking a back seat to the whole thing in both ways and i found that to be pretty admirable i don't know if there's a, a sense of atonement for that i think he's always been like that uh-huh. i think he's uh you know i think he's been playing these these 
especially early in his career, he plays all these dumb frat boys, basically, because that's how Hollywood sees him. I think he's always been this suffering, pretentious artist at heart. <laughs> I think that comes through all this stuff. <laughs> sure. And, and it, it does here, too. And he, do, and it you know, the ladies really do shine, both the filmmaker, because it's very full of directorial flourishes and you know what I mean? And, yeah. and the two main characters who, and especially Waterston, who we never, ever lose track of during the story. It's, uh, I admired it a lot. I, it was tough to enjoy. We'll see. I'll have to revisit it and see if it, see if knowing what happens lets me sort of appreciate the filmmaking more. Sometimes that happens. This is a movie sure. where that's certainly a possibility. So, well, very cool. Um, all right. Next up is uh, Halle Berry returning, not just on screen, but behind the camera as well. Uh, Halle Berry directing and starring in Bruised as a disgraced MMA fighter, finding redemption in the cage and the courage to face her demons when the son she had given up as an infant unexpectedly re-enters her life. Um, yeah, a lot of these on this list, well, a little more than half of these women directing women films are first time directorial debut directing efforts by women who are more famous for being actors than, mm -hmm. than directors. Maybe that'll change. Probably not. But, um, but that's neat. Halle Berry, you know, <laughs> Halle Berry starring in a Halle Berry production film by Halle Berry. It does feel a little silly when you're watching the credits. Um, but this is a passion project of hers, clearly. Right. And this is a script that has, like we talked about last show, it's passed through a bunch of different hands on its way to being this thing. It's an outstanding performance, as you would expect from her. Um what did Brian say to us? Brian Bevel, he had that great quote about uh, if you want to see how good a, a director is, you know, at least from a visual storytelling aspect, make them direct a boxing movie. This isn't exactly mm. a boxing movie. It's a kickboxing movie, I guess. It's, you know, right. ultimate fighting movie, but those can be pretty great too. Uh, you really do feel like you're a part of those sequences. Her relationship with her kid, her relationship with her mom, um, they're all complicated and they're all feel familiar, but none of them really ever drift into cliches, which is really, I'm super impressed by that, both, uh, both in the scripting and in sort of her handling of it. Sure. But it's a dark, gritty, you know, bad side of town type of movie where this person who's just a fighter, she's just wired that way. It's in her blood. She fights um finding a a way back into you know when you take the fight away from a person like that they're just you know it it the film sort of demonstrates you really just you just ca you're cast adrift and this film's mm -hmm. about sort of finding that getting that back both literally and metaphorically so it's all a little on the nuts but i, I this film was really an easy watch it's it's exciting. There's tons of human drama in it. The fights are great. She gets into yeah. this fight, like, away from the fights. It's not quite a bar fight, but <laughs> she gets she gets bullied by a, a rather successful, at the time, ultimate fighter into getting into a, basically, a street fight with her. And it's, 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 it's wow. powerful, you know? And that's hard. We've seen all... 
we've seen all this before. So from a sports movie aspect, this is, you know, but it really is mm-hmm. like, it's a call back to that. Maybe they, when they weren't fresh, but you know, it's a call back to, to Rocky in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It, it, which is to say it gets back in touch with the, the working class aspect of it. And the, just the way the world sort of piles on people and, I, yeah. I like that. I like the mix of stuff. So yeah. Cool. Well, Halle, and Halle Berry has been one who has spoken at great length um, about, you know, especially after her Academy Award, she just, she wasn't offered the types of movies she expected, kind of thought she deserved to be offered, um, especially as an Academy Award winner. And that, you know, as the years have gone on, she's like, she's certainly taken the route of, well, screw it. I'm going to, tell the stories that I want to tell. I'm going to make the movies that, that I want to make. And, and if that means that I have to make them, then, then so be it. So, um, yeah. So clearly, uh, it's a little tough. Monster, you know, monster, she's always been really good. Monsters ball. She's extraordinary. That was a well-earned Oscar. Um, but right after that came, you know, um, the Bond film, and then Catwoman. Yep, and Catwoman, and, like, and a lot of those deals were already in the works sword. before she was yeah. given the statue. But it, mm-hmm. it really did feel like somebody sort of squandering that goodwill on big fat right. Hollywood garbage. Yep. And and they, you know, it just shows you, especially if you're a woman. But the guys go through this too. Look, look at the five movies, you know, that F. Maria Abraham did after he won. It, yep. it, you know the world gets sick of you really really mm-hmm. fast it's one of those mm-hmm. sad things it's it's a really sad thing and sometimes you just go away and sometimes you just you kind of keep fighting and make your own way she's definitely following the latter path yeah you know that's a tough role she's a little too old to play this woman i think but it she's Hallie's so physically in tune with what she does on screen. She really, really is that kind of actor. Yeah. Uh, even if it's a even in the quiet dramatic moments or in the big boxing moments, like both. Um, her, she, she said, I, "I'm, you know, I don't mean to bring me into this because I'm not Halle Berry's league or anything, but I, I just always admire somebody who has that thing where you, you're acting with all of it." <laughs> you know i just it's not just here it is here but it's it's everywhere it's it's, uh, it's such a cool thing to witness uh it's a special shout out i can't remember the actor's name i saw her in a couple things though during these movies the woman who plays the her new trainer um, uh is her old is her new trainer angel mcqueen is it adrian be. adrian lennox uh, there's Sheila Atim who plays Budokan. Sheila, that's who it is. Sheila Atim. No, oh. thank you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You're good. Um, you you impressed yep. me in a couple of films, and I don't remember seeing you in much. So you know, mm-hmm. good job. It, it's a it's a great role in this. Again, it's just uh, the other ultimate fighting movie that I which I really enjoy. I really think is one of the best sports movies of all time is The Warrior with Joel Edgerton and. Uh, um tom hardy yes and this that's the same thing people don't one thing cool thing about ultimate fighting is that people don't get into that (laughs) it's just not a life of privilege you know what i mean even when you're really good at it it, this is something there's something about that that I, i don't know if it makes for great sport to be if i'm being honest i'd have to look more into it 
it feels dubious in both films, yeah. but, uh, but it, it makes for great human drama because it's just, it brings all this sort of working class stuff with it. The, the metaphor for what fighting is is so right there on the surface. And I enjoy that. I like, I mean, I like that. I think that's cool. I don't, I don't need to dig so deep for the meaning of the thing all the time, but I like nevertheless that there's, that there's extra meaning in it and that makes it powerful. So I like it. Okay. Um, well, you know, um, I'm there, of, you know, a lot of sports movies cliches in it. So. Sure, sure. But. Um, I, I'm I'm curious to see what you thought of America's sweetheart, Sandra Bullock, playing someone getting out of a prison for a violent crime where no, I just can't imagine. Even if Sandra, if someone like Sandra Bullock committed a violent crime, you'd go, it's okay. We, you know, you served your time. We forgive you. But apparently in the movie Unforgivable, she's at, whoops, sorry, Siri. Nope, we're not going to look up, look up, you look you up, Siri. I already looked you up. Uh, But um, Siri is a woman uh, in in this, uh, Sandra Bullock plays a woman released from prison after serving her sentence for a violent crime. Uh, and as she reenters, uh, as she reenters society and society refuses to forgive her past. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I loved uh, un- Unforgivable. And the reason I loved it most of all was that central performance. I liked the complicated story. This, this story feels like there's no escape for this person. Even the people who are nice to her aren't like, can't quite cope with any of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, It's, it's, I don't want to go through the nuts and bolts of what the story is. I can just say that that it's a survival movie again. And life is so harsh and forgiveness is, is especially these days. It's so not on the table. It's just not on the table for you. Right. Don't F up too bad because we're not, a. this is not a forgiving society. We're not a forgiving world. All of our, all of our great religions of the world basically preach that first and foremost in, in many ways and in many cases. And we just don't, we're not, we're getting worse at that. Yeah. And this film shows that, that it, it just, you're, there's no place for you here. And yet, what are you going to do? Are you just going to lay down and die? Are you just going to kill yourself? Well, maybe that's an option, but sometimes it feels like the only option, and it's just so brutal. The the crime um, that she went to prison for is is brutal and horrible. The emotional consequences that have stemmed from it are are really powerful. Um, her her need to sort of you know again to to fight back and yet to be carrying all this guilt around it's mm-hmm. just, you know that's complicated stuff and i really really liked it it's formatted and it's what's great what's even better about it it's got all that in it and it just it's not it's a mo- film that moves along with a lot of great conventional tension and energy so it really has this structure of this kind of old school thriller or old school suspense film, I guess we'll say is maybe more accurate. So it's imminently watchable. It's got a big movie star in it doing her best work. 
ever, pretty much. I mean, it's good as Sandra's ever going to be in anything, because the role is just worthy of her. It's not gravity like flashy in terms of you could just say oh wow that's there's a performance you know what i mean but yeah. she's just so strong in it you know uh, and uh who directed it we should give her a shout out because of the category uh it is somebody i'm not uh, super familiar with i don't think yeah it um, um come on where are you nora F uh, okay nora fingshite uh, okay Nora Fingsheet. So maybe it would have been better, uh, Nora, if we didn't mention you. But yeah, that, look, I mean, I feel I feel bad, Nora. You know, but it's just you're you're from Braunschweig, Lower Saxony, Germany, <laughs> uh, and so I, I it's it's good, Nora Fingsheit. I'm gonna go Fingsheit. It's a really um, really strong. Like I said, the if the job of the director is to juggle all those deep meanings along with the more mercenary concerns of pacing and entertainment mm -hmm. like this, this was, I just thought this, this was a really, really strong movie. Again, it's not, it wasn't going to be nominated for a bunch of Oscars or anything like that. It's not that kind of movie, but um, it's one of those where when you're, you know, you're searching through streaming and streaming's telling you to watch it because it's got Sandra Bullock in it. And because you uh -huh. liked the blind side or something. And you know, it, you can a, a a fan of the Blind Side could jump into this just as much as a fan of, like you know whatever what's was the first mm -hmm. movie on our list, the world to come, the world and, to come, and yeah. they can both get something out of this that's extraordinary. I I think that is quite an accomplishment for everybody involved. So I I like the Unforgivable a lot. That's not well, that's sure, not and also. Yeah, I mean, uh, also, I mean, this is literally uh, uh, Nora Fingshite's. Um, as a director, she's directed short films and documentary shorts and a, and a documentary, uh, looks like her only other like feature film that she's directed, uh, is a film that she wrote, uh, called system crasher a couple years ago. So for this to essentially be, and that looks like a German language film here, if I'm, uh, yeah, that, that looks like it's a German language film here. So this is, you know, her first uh i mean quite a find um for for the uh for these producers and stuff uh to you know to 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 do to do a um a movie like yeah this. to put something like this so, in her hands well yeah, like i said yeah. whoever wrote it the script is really really strong as well and yeah um and you again you have a movie star who is just just uh, you know the, it's a dark film so i don't want to get mm -hmm. into but her enthusiasm for the material is obvious and it and it and to get to play a character with this much complexity and this much going on behind her eyes and you know i'm not a huge yeah. sandra bullock fan because for every good performance of her there's this one that's just what's the one they kept advertising during the super bowl of channing tatum you know yeah, that looks just, yeah. that looks fun actually. If I'm being honest, but it it's not it's not acting as I appreciate it. So what am I going to do with a thing like that? And she's in yeah. a lot of those throughout the years. But but this is something else. She this is something else entirely. And she just shows you she's got it. She can do it. 
as good as anybody for, of her generation. Yeah, for every for every unforgivable, she's gonna have an all about Steve somewhere in there. Well, that's sort of the um, game, I think. For when you get to a certain level of stardom and they're paying you fifteen yeah. million, twenty million bucks per project, I mean, it's I got to do one of these so that I can do one of those. Well, like yeah, that's the that's the uh, that's the famous uh, George Clooney method that he that he tells uh, you know tells right. tells everybody he's like do one for them and then you do one for you. Unfortunately, Clooney uh, yeah. dramatically uh, misjudged what doing one for us meant somewhere along <laughs> the way. Uh, comparatively, Sandra Bullock's she's keeping the balance pretty good. She's yeah. keeping up the juggling act. She's uh, yeah, because Clooney's like Clooney. Do you really think that one was for us? You're mistaken. <laughs> you haven't done a. I mean, you might think you have. Well, but you mean, haven't done a movie for us for over a decade, truly. Sure, and that's and that. To be fair, maybe that's how he. Well, that's just it's you a, know as he was coming up as he was as he was uh, you know maybe that's what he thought he was going to have to do or whatever. And then he realized, Oh wait, no, I'm George Clooney. Um, I'm just <laughs> going to go to my villa. In who that Spain philosophy or is originally. And of course this could go back forever. I don't know, but sure, who that's yeah. originally um, uh, sort of origined with in the modern era is Clint Eastwood. And if you look at the films that he's yeah. directed and starred in, you really will see, especially from the late seventies till about the early nineties, it sort of changed after that, but you really do see literally every other movie for, you know, you see him do the rookie and he did it just so that he could make a uh, white hunter, black heart, which nobody wanted to let him make. And so he's making, yeah. he's making these deals all along. Well, I'll do pink Cadillac, but you got to let me do this. And Warner's mm-hmm. like looking, they're crunching the numbers and they're like, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, We'll let and you do it, this movie if you do right. two movies with an orangutan. Exactly. And Soderbergh yeah. definitely subscribed to that, too. The Oceans films oh, sure. were meant to be these money-making, crowd-pleasing films that allowed him to do more tricky material in between. Right. But again, right. the Ocean films didn't help anybody except those ass- rich assholes who starred in the Ocean films. Those films are transparently terrible. They're just <laughs> got people in Italy yeah. partying... And thinking we'll enjoy watching it, and they're awful. <laughs> I mean, the first one has some redeeming qualities. It's it's got it's a little stricter of a thing, you know, of a remake of an older film. But the sequels are just shamefully bad, and everyone should be ashamed to be involved in them, except Matt Damon. <laughs> All right, Matt Damon, well, the only let... one who showed up for each Oceans movie, was like. I'm going to do the work of this movie. I don't know what the hell any of these other people are doing, but it's not like he could exactly be super critical of them. Right. But he's the, like Brad Pitt, George Clinton, they just, they're taking a vacation. That's not doing one Mm -hmm. for us. You bastards. (laughs) All right. Let's, let's move on before we get too sidetracked by crappy movies. Um, Sandra did this one for her and it worked out for everybody. There's the lesson. Okay. Just to bring it back around to unforgivable. There you go. Yeah, um, all right, next up, next up is uh, a fascinating movie called Passing, uh, filmed by Rebecca, directed by Rebecca Hall, uh, who is best known as an as an actor. Um, uh, but uh, a story that she, um, you know, that's very close to her heart, very close to her life, um, and uh, and. So she, uh, it's passing is, um, 
Uh, it follows the unexpected reunion of two high school friends whose renewed acquaintance ignites a mutual obsession that threatens both of their carefully constructed realities. Yeah, two high school friends from like the 20s or something. Yeah, though, it takes right? place in the 20s. Yeah. When I read that uh, description, I thought, oh, wow, that's weird. Um, but when you get that it's a period thing, that this is the Depression era, this is a pre... Um, a pre... You know... Uh, well, certainly pre-civil rights. Pre-civil era, rights. Pre, Thank yeah, you. That's the term yeah. I'm looking for. Very much pre-civil rights. Ruth Nega plays a young woman who can who, who is a person of color who can pass as a white woman. Marries a white man. Her whole life is essentially a performance. And she bumps mm -hmm. into this person that she went to high school with, played by Tessa Thompson, who could not pass for a white woman. <laughs> yeah. But... It's weird. It's Thompson's story, even though Tessa, it, this is, she just blew my mind in this. I am not a Tessa Thompson fan. Roll the tape back. You'll just hear me. Yeah. Go, eh, <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Whatevs. Yep. Whatever. Well, yeah. Fair, you look really cool, fair, she, Tessa, yeah. in those tight pants. Good job. Yeah, you know, you look fair, really cool she... in the shades, whatever. <laughs> you look really cool with the weird Valkyrian headdress on. Fine. Good job. Like, I just not impressed with her. She, she, not that mm -hmm. she's bad. She's as good as anybody doing roles like that, but just one cooler than you performance after another. And it got really, it's getting really old for me because I'm not, I'm like, that. Here's an actor who doesn't let me in on anything. Well, this is the yeah. same. It's the same kind of performance. She doesn't let us in at all. She keeps it all to herself. It's all internalized. So, where, where does all that energy go? It goes into the performance somehow in this wonderful, just magical way. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's not a magical movie. It's not a show-offy part. It's the it's the lesser show-offy part of the two. But I always gravitate to those people in that per performance because they're the ones that this story is happening to. You know, uh, Ruth starts her character gets sort of wrapped up very dangerously because of this chance meeting these two have back mm -hmm. in this old culture that she was a part of and she wants to be a part of it but it it she's a con artist essentially her own husband thinks she's a white person she just can't be effing around like that yeah even when she introduces tessa to her husband uh he thinks she's white like he just isn't seeing what's going on right in front of his eyes right. and and he makes you know extremely sort of nonchalantly but you know but rate super racist comments, you know, that were totally mm -hmm. acceptable in polite society at the time. It's a delicate little movie. It's got really, really great performances, really outstanding production design. I believe this is one of the several films of last year that was shot in Academy ratio. I, uh, so square, like an old movie, like, you know, like wizard of Oz or like, uh, Casablanca, uh, that helps, put it back in that time period, I think, which is probably why Rebecca made that choice. Um, yeah. Well, think, yeah, I, I mean, think passing is in black and white too, which of course is perfect. That another thing that thematically ties into it. So um, the director, first time director is pulling out all the stops, but what, what is allowed to be in the film without forcing anything it, are, are, is this increase just incredible emotional journey that I would have no chance of feeling these things or experiencing these ideas without Tessa's character to, to guide me through them as this old white guys was never 
if I'm gonna if I'm gonna experience anything like what happens in this movie, it's because of this movie. Or I think mm-hmm. is it based on a play or is it based on a, a novel? Based on a novel. Um. Yeah. By uh, shoot, I just had it here. Um. Uh, Nella Larson's book just called amazing, Passing. Just a really mm-hmm. powerful film, and 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 not not nothing against a uh, world to come, but this film really does. It braves. It really goes out on the plank on its own, without the voiceover, without any help, and mm-hmm. and brings the thing home. And in a way, sometimes that makes it feel weird. Sometimes it, uh, you know, the danger is that things will feel unearned if they're not really properly explained to you. Uh, some people watching this might have that experience. I sympathize. I didn't. I was because of the artistic flourishes on display here. I was just tied to the thing visually. And because of that, the the emotional impact was just full on. And I cannot say enough about Tessa and this. Such a good cool. job. Bravo. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Rebecca Hall, you know, and, and you might wonder, you know, you have a white woman, um, a white presenting woman directing this film, um, a white a British uh, woman. Yeah. Uh, but that was the whole inspiration behind this she's, is Rebecca she, Hall. She's somebody's kid. Who's she? <clears throat> she's famous. Rebecca Hall? Yeah. I can't remember who her parents uh, are. Of, at least one of them is famous. Sure. I I, I, I don't. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah. Daughter of Peter Hall, stage director and founder of the RSC. Mm. And Maria Ewing, an opera singer. Um, but so she, uh, but Rebecca recently learned that she, that her grandfather was a man who passed as white. And so that is why she, you know, so she has recently found out that she is, you know, a quarter, um, a quarter African-American. Uh, and African so she, Britain or whatever the case uh, no, no, this one says, uh, well, no, cause it's her mother, her mother, I'm sorry. Her mother is of Dutch and African-American origin. Um, so, uh, you can but, feel that but, personal but, connection to the material. Yeah, it's a tough so it's, story. It's, it's not it's a. Wild, it's yeah. not a. It's not easily satisfying story, you know. But I, I was mm-hmm. very, very grateful for the journey. But from, like I say, everybody, Ruth's always good. You would expect her to be rock in this more flamboyant of the two performances, and she does. Um, yeah. You, you would expect a first time director, male, female, <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. their ethnic bake, you know, makeup to be. They do one of two things. They either get behind the camera, some big commercial piece of crap, the likes of which they've always been in, or they really just go for it. Academy ratio, black and white, period. You know what I mean? Like, it's just got, it's just very artsy-fartsy film, but in just all the best ways. Because the things that are most important are, are let to be and are fully realized, and we're, we're coming to another movie that, same you know like really really yeah. achieved a lot with very little um yeah sorry, i mean uh, sorry if you also, had a built-in transition for no 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 i was just going to mention uh you, you know i i learned more about this uh on um finding your roots with uh henry lewis gates on pbs it's uh you know sort of a genealogy uh show on pbs uh, and, i'm adopted and she I don't take to shows like that, but I know what you're talking yeah. about. Well, yeah. she, as you say, that's what this movie's about. It really yeah. is about that. So yeah. that being part of her history is kind of amazing. 
Yeah. But I'm, um, a, I'm, so, a, I'm adopted. I just started in 1972. I have no history. I don't want to, I'm not going to be on some show. And I, as a result, I, I view identity a little differently. I think that people who are more tied to those sorts of things. Sure. Sure. Um, all right. So next up is. Um, I'll save that for my directorial debut, though. <laughs> hey, Rebecca, you all of you guys, you got that was a good yep. one. Passing is really, really strong. Um, so we have uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal with her uh, directorial debut um, in a uh, movie with. And, you know, and to, to do your directorial debut and to get to direct Olivia Coleman. Not a bad, not a bad uh, way way to to, to start, um, but we uh, but it's called the lost daughter. A woman's beach vacation takes a dark turn when she begins to confront the troubles of her past. Oh, again, I loved Lost Daughter. Um, this is a film that it is going to and has. I've already seen some of the reaction. Uh, it's mm-hmm. going to turn people off for how just emotionally standoffish it is and how impenetrable our main character is. Usually when you've got a main character that you spend all this time flashing back to her past and stuff, it usually reveals the answers. You know what I mean? It, it It's saying something about why they're doing what they're doing or why what's happening to them is happening to them. And mm-hmm. this film, <laughs> it's never... Just, I mean, maybe, uh, may, maybe people will relate to this that are different than uh, than me. It's possible, and be like, oh, I, I you know, I, I, I'm connecting with what's going on with her. I, I think it, well, the beauty of Lost Daughter is it works either way. You, your I- inability to understand her is sort of the magic of the thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, because it's because you because life isn't like that. You can't draw all these nice simple lines things it, you know it's it isn't it isn't you know this happened therefore this happened it, it life isn't as simple as that sure. ever so it's it's psychologically complex film whose secrets don't really get revealed to you and whose relationships are strained and can't be counted on um but we feel this character's frustration and we sort of feel her judgment and she's and the film it isn't cheating that one of the other characters in the film uh played by dakota johnson literally says what are you doing why <laughs> you know just calls this our our hero out <laughs> and she her first she's like you know i don't know <laughs> that's that's not conventionally satisfying in a cinema sense but the film's really artfully done it's very compelling i mean i even someone who doesn't like it or won't won't enjoy where it ends up, I, I don't know how you can't be. I don't know how a a, a a normal cinema goer could not be tugged along with this one because it just each successive thing that happens is, even if it's not easily understandable, it's it's so compelling. Uh, if I had any issue with it, you know, you got two people both in the past and the present playing the same character. They're both best actors they could have got really and you can see Mm -hmm. you can see their similarities but they're not the same their approach to the character is not the same physically they're not the same enough it it, that is a leap that's a very theatrical thing that's a little hard to take i don't think you can i mean olivia is almost young enough where she just play herself as a younger person maybe the point is that they're different people 
I don't know. That's, yeah, you know, that's yeah, for a, I mean, that's for a longer like over coffee discussion, and not our we're trying to review twelve movies in a podcast discussion. <laughs> but you know what I mean? There, it, yeah. I, I didn't hate that, but I was like that. That it, that's another thing that takes me a step away from this person, and and I can see how that would be frustrating for for uh, any audience member, really. But I thought Lost Daughter was super accomplished. I was riveted by it. You know, all these films on this list, uh, even the worst of them is probably bruised and it was fantastic. So the these films from the points of view of these complicated women, just gloriously complicated. That's so nice to see for a change. Um, I mean, we've had those stories in the past, but here's a here's a whole group of them all came out around the same time. And really, really strong. And this is the, probably the strongest of them it because it. It, it's uncompromising in this wonderful way. And Olivia is, is the perfect person to play this lady. It's hard to imagine. It's whenever you can watch something and go, well, you know, cause I can watch like talking about Sandra Bullock. I, I could have seen mm-hmm. Hillary Swank or something could have played that character. And it might've been just as good. Mm-hmm. Um, not that Sandra's not fantastic in it, but I'm just saying it's, it's hard to imagine anybody that they could have found really both of these actors that they have playing the lead character who who was brave enough to be so obtuse on screen and yet and yet to have enough inner life within them that you buy into it anyway that's a just yeah. not an easy thing to pull off and it's totally the job here yeah um, and like i said contrasted with uh who's i hate to make you do this with her eastern european name <laughs> but uh the woman who who plays this vaca- the head of this vacationing family. And uh, I already said Dakota Johnson. Doug, Doug Mara Dominic. Yeah. Dominic. I love her. I love her going way, way back to as a silly a thing as it is going way, way back to, uh, she did had a guest appearance on a old law and order SVU where she played this Interpol person in charge of, uh, you know, um, slavery basically sex slavery that was really powerful and made me go who is that wow and uh and she played the the lady you know the our damsel basically in uh kevin reynolds version of um count of Count of monte cristo and she's fantastic in that and and the best role in count the best scene for her in count of monte cristo got cut for pacing mm. reasons I like Kevin Reynolds. I like the guy who wrote it, but I wanted to climb into the screen and just slap them silly for cutting this scene because it's <laughs> that scene is everything, and she's fantastic in it and deserves more. And she's on; she's got a, a recurring role on uh, not a huge one, but a significant one on uh, the what's the show everybody's so into now on HBO with Brian Cox. Uh, success, success, yeah, succession. Uh, she's a really good actor. She's been in tons of dogs, frankly, because, you know, she's not a super famous person. She's not a movie star. So mm-hmm. I just want to give her a shout out as being awesome. She Very said cool. this thing. She, she said this, you know, most people who know me know that I'm married to Patrick Wilson. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> some of the people who know me know that I'm actually an actor myself. <laughs> what she's really into is she's an artist and that's like the third thing that nobody knows about her and i always thought that was kind of a neat neat deal so that's a good actor dakota's great they're very very american Mm. 
and Olivia is very, very British. And there's, so there's something there too. That's very, uh, the scene where she's sitting, she's going on, the whole movie is, is you're going on this vacation and she's sitting on the beach. She sat half a day on the beach to unwind and unload. And this obnoxious, like half Italian, half American family just show it's on this empty beach, <laughs> just show up. And are the life of the party. And they just take over everything. Make tons of noise. And you can... Even if you're more like the, the that family than you are like her. Mm-hmm. You just feel that tightening up of every nerve that you have when it happens. And right. it leads to all kinds of wacky craziness, folks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, the movie that is kind of a perfect transition between our... Uh, our next two cat or our next category here. Uh, we've been uh, we've had the, the uh, f- movies featuring um, women uh, women directors. Uh, when now we're going to move into some movies that are we're musically sorry inclined. That women directors that you had your own category. That sort of sucks. No, but, these, but we wanted know. to. It was more of a to highlight the fact that these were um, these were all very good movies from November to, to New Year's in January. These all came out for us to be able to watch. And just one after another, I was like, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. And, and our next movie here, uh, as we go into our musically inclined category is also directed by a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I, am uh, going to butcher it, but it's a Welsh name. So it's, I think it's, uh, Sharn Hader. Sharn. I think that's pronounced anyway, but, uh, the movie is, Coda, uh, and uh, Coda stands for Child of Deaf Adults, um, and uh, that also and has a is, musical term that is applicable. And uh, Coda is also the yeah uh, is also the um, ending part of a the ending section of a uh, of, of a song. Um, Ruby is the only hearing person in her deaf family, and when the family's fishing business is threatened, Ruby finds herself torn between pursuing her love of music by wanting to go to Berkeley College of Music and her fear of abandoning her parents. It's such a beautiful idea. Like before the movie even starts that you have a hearing person in a deaf family whose true passion and talent is music. Something none of her, her, that her brother and her parents cannot experience in, I shouldn't say in no way whatsoever, but in not in any way, the way she experiences it. Mm-hmm. And so already you got a movie about a teenage girl and her parents and her brother. And there's enough there already. Anyone who's been a part of that makeup, just knows that, you know, there's, it's, there's already enough disconnection and competition and all that stuff that's there. She's been, she's been the ambassador to these people to, to the hearing world for her whole life. Mm-hmm. And, and it isn't, it, it's not a binary choice. That's the glory of this film. Other than that, the music in it is, is, it just takes your breath away. I'm not going to ruin the, like the final moments mm-hmm. of the movie, but I, all I can say is I just, when that was happening, I was like, I wish I had a life worthy of having this be the thing to underscore it until I die. That was the mm. literal thought that I had in my head when I was listening to it. I was, and I'm such a musical person and I was so incredibly moved and uplifted by it. Um, and the film's no different. Uh, the deaf family is amazing. 
Uh, it's a remake of a of a, a, a Great Britain film that cast basically hearing people as deaf people. That was the big knock on it. It's a really good film, just like this is. This film corrects that mistake very carefully with most of the same people making it. It's one of those remakes where it's everybody remaking it again in America, but this time with Americans. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's extraordinary. I'd never seen... I mean, we've all seen Marley Matlin and stuff since the Children of a Lesser God in 85 or whenever mm -hmm. it was. Um, you know, she's extraordinary and brings a, brings a, brings a, a veteran presence to this, this ensemble cast that's in this thing. Um, but she's smart enough too to know, like we talked about earlier, she knows that this isn't her movie to some degree. She's a foil for this young girl who's trying to find her way. And the performance sort of reflects that. And the guy who plays her father, uh, Rob Dunkelberger, who saw this, he was just totally taken with this dude. Mm -hmm. um, and he's really, really extraordinary because of the authenticity of it all, you know. It, it's, yeah. His, and and let's, let's give him a shout out because he's nominated for an Academy Award. But, uh, you know, and, and you know, we're going to we're going to learn more about him, hopefully, and hopefully we'll see him and and, and continue to see him in mainstream films. Troy Kutzer. I think we will. Um, Still a challenge. What What do you do with a deaf person? You know, mm -hmm. how do you put him in the next Tom Clancy movie? You can, and you should, but you have to have yeah. the imagination to ask yourself that question from the get go. Um, that's that's on Hollywood now. You've seen this guy; you can't be denied. What are you going to do with them? It's up to mm -hmm. you. It, mm -hmm. Maybe it's a challenge, but I hope they rise to that challenge because he's he's capable of a lot of great stuff. He's certainly capable of being a deaf character in a movie who isn't just there because he's deaf. <laughs> right. You know, but we, we're right. going to have to accommodate that. It's yeah, no different than uh... who's the kid who, you know, hijacks the big boat and with Tom Hanks and, you know, I don't remember his name Ajax. off the top of my head, but there's an example. Oh, oh, oh! You mean from from Captain Phillips? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Abdi, um, because he's he's one of us. He's Minnesotan. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you're gonna put mm -hmm. him in a movie, you gotta, you know, he's not just somebody where you're like, oh, here's the part. Cast him. You have to imagine a place for him in your film. Some people have done that. He's yeah. been great in a. Barkad Abdi uh, is just who are yeah. Uh, this, is, yeah, this isn't the same, but it's similar. You, you're going to have to manufacture opportunities for this guy. And yep. I hope you do because he's awesome. Yep. Yeah, uh, he's signed on. He has signed on to uh, to be in um, a, a, another movie called uh, The Flash Before the Bang and um, where he will be playing the coach of a deaf track team. So he'll, you know, he'll be the deaf well, he should be. He'll, he'll, he should know. be. He should be uh, a given for those types of roles. <laughs> sure, <laughs> right. Yeah, he should. There's nothing yeah, wrong he, with that maybe either. He'll, 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 maybe he'll be the Marley Matlin, where he's literally straight to the top uh, of the list know, for that kind of. Yeah, person. you know, because for for a while there, Mar, you know, Marley, you, you, you know, she had to fight for. Yeah. Um, to make roles that weren't traditionally written for deaf, yeah. you know, deaf actors. To, right. But, you know, for, so for a long time, it was just like, oh, we need a deaf person for, to fulfill this plot line of a deaf person. We get Marley won the Oscar. Yeah. I don't know that he's gonna necessarily, this is a pretty mm -hmm. loaded year, but yeah, but great. Yes. Yep. All um, right. Coda, just getting back to this teenagers love of music. That is really what it's about. 
the her struggle, the fact that all these forces are against her, against her heart, you know, is real. It's a it's a family movie. It's it is relatively uplifting. Not to spoil it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's complicated and glorious, and I love it. And, and and not everyone has Apple TV, and you can't really watch it any other way, which is sort of a bummer. Right. But it, it, if you have this film at your disposal and you you haven't checked it out, I I can't recommend it enough. It's fantastic. Uh, very not cool. really um, a musical. Right. Not, not really, yeah, not really a musical, women, but, but kind of both. A little bit of both. Kind of both. A little bit of music. It's, uh, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, next up is, uh, I, I mean, it's a movie that I had one of the best times watching. It just, this is a movie that uh, was really just felt wonderful to watch. Um, In the Heights, um, based on Lin-Manuel Miranda's other musical, um, his first musical. Um, and uh, yeah, directed by John Chu, uh, starring Anthony Ramos. And um and uh really and melissa Barrera. And, i mean yeah, it, just, first of all this this just lin-manuel miranda has it's his voice that all these characters for better or worse all these characters sing yeah. with uh like hamilton there's not a ton even though he can work seemingly in any form musically there's not a ton of musical variety to this this all really feels like it's coming from the same place that's not right. uncommon for composers but it right and that you know and this was like this was one of his first fully yeah, but you I, know, fully realized musicals I, I think that was he was speaking to a, a particular yeah. area of new york yeah. um and you know yeah and that but the that songs particular... are just like hamilton the songs are so strong and so powerful and the yeah. voice the musical voice is so self-assured that can both fill both projects even there's not for me to you know criticize uh <laughs> you know but yeah but they both have that this is a lot of the same stuff over and over and over and over again feel to them without a doubt um, that gets a little tiring in this. And they cut a bunch of songs out of this. I think at a night on Broadway, you've got a sort of bit of different expectation. This is still a pretty long movie with a mm-hmm. big ensemble cast that is really spread out, whose stories you only tangentially are connected to at any given time. So, you know, again, I think on stage that works probably better than it does in a film. But from the filmmaking here is really strong. Like this stuff, like for a modern musical where the most of the vast majority of the movie is just singing and musical numbers. Uh, it's really, really outstanding. So I really liked that aspect of it. I loved the, again, I loved how cinematic they made this very stagey styled thing into, I just don't know how he could have done better with that. And Miranda's songs are great. This young cast is full of energy. Like you said, you had a lot of fun with it. I didn't have as much fun per se. I found it, it was a little bit of more of a chore for me, but I still really, really admired it when it was over and was grateful for watching it. It didn't have a huge mm. audience. There's a whole political side story that goes with it. We'll just skip that. I don't know that Joel yeah. have anything to add to that. Um, um, if you if you want if you want to know more about that, Gordon um, Gordon talks about that a little bit in his review. Um, Who's Gordon? That, oh, Gordon. Gordon from a couple yeah from a couple of episodes ago. Really, he goes into it, huh? 
Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that one's one of, more well, of, his, one of his more lengthy ones. When somebody who is the master and creator of such an incredibly diverse and amazing thing has to mm. go to the world and apologize for not quite being diverse enough, the people he's apologizing for have, I'll just say, have completely taken their eye off the ball. Totally. Right. Yeah. And that was that was a sh- weird, shameful moment that I hated. But other than that, this movie's a joy. That's what it's meant to yeah. be. It's just, it, it has its ups and downs, but it is a celebration, and you feel that by the time it's over. So I right. I, I, I quite liked it. Um, next up is a movie uh, with Adam Driver, Marion Cotard, and uh, Simon Helberg called Annette. Yeah, and what this movie really has that we talked about before, way, way back. Same series, <laughs> but way back in our first year in review episode of Six, um, it has the Sparks Brothers. And the Sparks right. Brothers are insane, and so is <laughs> Annette. Yeah. It's crazy, and it made lots of people angry, and I get why. <laughs> I get why, because again, here's your stars. Here's a couple of songs. Wow, these songs are great. And here's a movie that's just like, what? 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 Like the whole thing is, huh? And even mm-hmm. though it's it's like really well crafted and kind of amazing, there's this scene at the end, a father and daughter scene, we'll call it, all set to music that just sort of blows your mind. But the film isn't anything... It can't be, we can't even really be meant to relate to it, Joel. Right? Is there such a Mm -hmm. thing as an international opera star anymore? I get, I mean, like when I hear that, I think of Josh Groban, and that doesn't count, does it? Right. No, not really. When, no. When does opera cross over into the mainstream? When does avant garde? Really, the last time, the really the last time we ever, we at least uh, that has crossed over into the American, uh, Andrea uh, Bocelli is Bocelli it would be Andrea Bocelli, yeah. But that even that, in in a very limited adult contemporary old white person way, did Andrea Bocelli hit the big time? So yeah. you're you're starting with these premises of this world that isn't our own, and these people who don't inhabit it, and these crimes that make no sense, and and maybe sometimes crimes don't make any sense. But again, it's it's the piling on of absurdity. And I get mm-hmm. it. What should we have expected as a musical or a movie from these guys? You know, they tell you right in the opening number. They don't come up and say, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but this is all effed up. <laughs> Buckle up, you know. And it's Buckle like, up, yep. <laughs> it's just like, so as weird, as weird, ornate theater of the absurd, I mean, I was towed along okay. But I, I, this film didn't, I mean, it doesn't, I read online and I envy these people about how they felt this and felt that. And I'm like, "Ah, this movie didn't make me feel much except, except awe and bewilderment. You know what I mean? In equal measure. That's not nothing. That's still feelings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's still Mm -hmm. provoked an emotional response. But Annette is weird, guys. You just got to accept that. The music (laughs) is pretty weird. The, The story is strange. You know, it's just strange. It just is. And there's no effort, oh, the it. likes of which, like something like, which we're not going to review this year, but House of Gucci, like, bends over backwards to, if not make you relate to something, to make you comprehend it. And this film just doesn't, it, it's not that it, 
It's not that it's trying to be incomprehensible. It's that it doesn't really care if you comprehend it or not. This is what mm-hmm. it is. And you just have to deal with it. And your ability to deal with it on its own terms is, will go a long way towards deciding whether you're able to enjoy it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Next up, uh, we're going to go back to Lin-Manuel Miranda. But this time, uh, it is not one of his musicals, but he is directing this movie uh, version of the musical, which is sort of a biopic of Jonathan Larson, the creator of Rent. Um, um, But it's called Tick, Tick, Boom. It's a real work of genius in how it takes those two things and makes it all happen. It takes this musical of his, one of the only one. I mean, Jonathan Larson's life was tragically cut short by uh, doctors failing to see a baseball-sized tumor on on an x-ray that we can all see with our own eyes it's so right. frustrating when you see it it's just like how did you miss that i don't i, I don't even know i like mm-hmm. not ordering an mri or an x-ray in the first place i can see but to have done it looked right at it and not seen that tumor i, I don't understand anyway yeah. um jonathan larson most famous for writing the pulitzer prize winning rant and lynn went randos Famous for a bunch of things, but is most famous for writing the Pulitzer Prize winning, um, what's it called again? Alexander? No. What? What's that dude's name? Hamilton? Hamilton. Thanks. Yeah. Hamilton? That's a better title. Um, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, there's a kinship here, even though these guys didn't know each other. Yeah. No. Uh... There's a real vivid connection that this film brings across. And and Jonathan Larson's songs, you know, I'd never heard any songs from Tim Tick Tick Boom. I grew up with Rent. Joel and I were sort of talking. I mean, you uh Gen Zers and stuff who got to have Hamilton, you know, you you don't know how lucky you have it. We had Rent, you know, but but Rent is really, really good. I mean, I I remember when it came out, it was really, really good. It it's got some cheesy crap in it and so does tick tick boom it, it's it's very over the top it's very old school over the top musical theater e in ways that you know that you are, are that are the things that normal people hate about musical theater <laughs> right yeah, yeah yeah they don't so much mind sitting there watching a great song being performed for them they they it's the stuff in between where it's just like you know, that's the stuff that sort of takes a, a normal person out of it. This has got some of that in it, but I just had never heard these songs before. And I found them all amazing. I found Lynn's connection with Jonathan's story. Amazing. I found his ability to co-op these tunes from this different project and put them in a musical about Jonathan's life story ingenious. And I just think, and I thought Andrew Garfield was just like just Errol Flynn, like just mm-hmm. out there bravery, you know, like just so brave a performance. Like yeah. I was so yeah. super impressed It's, it's it, with it, his it really, openness and his hugeness and yeah, yeah. his emotional it, commitment and his voice. My God, it's so good. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, it is. It's this, um, I mean, and look, and he, you know, he shares the screen um, a lot of times with some, you know, with some big time Broadway heavy hitters mm-hmm. and he does, he just has this light. Most of the time. The this, only time he this, really yeah. doesn't is when he's alone on screen, which yeah, he is yeah. for a good deal of it, but they're all heavy hitters in this thing. But yeah, but he, you know, he just has this, this airiness, this, 
this I don't yeah I I I yeah I mean you're yeah I mean I can't describe it any better than than you with this freedom, I don't know this, Jonathan Larson yeah. personally I do know a little bit of Andrew Garfield from watching him throughout the years you know so in a way this mm-hmm. isn't a surprising thing but it really yeah. is a place where performer meets material in a miraculous way and right and I I just I and again the filmmaking is a much much more modest and much easier film to pull off than in the Heights was. But uh, for my first time filmmaker, it's, it's full of just glorious things that I really, really mm-hmm. loved, but it, you're, it's very, very, it's a celebration of musical theater, even though they've worked it out so that the vast majority of the songs are a person performing a song. So there's not a lot of this is just people singing about stuff in their lives. There's a little bit of it, but there's not a, there's a, only as much as there has to be. Otherwise, they've tried to make this so that you're seeing creation happen before your eyes and it it mm-hmm. I I don't I watched it the right time. I was in the right state of mind. I like I really like Jonathan's melodies so much already to begin with. So to have a whole bunch of new ones that I didn't really I don't really know the story of Tick, Tick, Boom. I certainly never seen the actual show. I just was just, yeah. I was just taken aback by how great this stuff was. And, and so it was, yeah, I've only ever seen the, the songs out of context. I've seen, I've seen songs from Tick, Tick, Boom performed, you know, a, a person puts it in their cabaret after sure, sure. as part of this, you know, and this is pretty else, much so. out of context as well, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it's a, put in a whole different context, but that's yeah. part of why it's so awesome. Like it, it's almost feels like this is how it was meant to be. These songs were waiting for this to really be what they could be to be all that they mm-hmm. could be it has that yeah. sense of celebration again and and more than that fulfillment fulfillment of a dream a dream we don't even see fulfilled in the movie but you just yeah. feel it kind of every step of the way and it's it's really really strong it's if you if you don't like musicals this isn't going to be the one that changes your mind at all you really right. probably should avoid it if you do like musicals and you kind of couldn't grasp it this is not an easy sell the concept behind this mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. if you didn't quite grasp what this was i just dive right in watch it at your right. soonest possible convenience um, great. yeah i mean it's where it, this is a movie I, I I really do think it's specifically aimed at our generation. Like you said at the beginning, we grew up with Rent. So uh, it's Rent was the you know, Gen X musical, truly. Well, yeah, was. and so it. So if you're a Gen Xer mm. in that loves theater or has you know spent time or has uh, you know has embraced the Broadway musical, then yeah, then this 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 is who this movie's aimed at. Yeah. And um, of course, you know, as Gen that's Xers, also you'll, in, you'll yeah. find some way to be cynical about it. And to yeah, I mean, it. we will. Yeah, we will. You know, that's why I say, ah, I mean, rent doesn't age well. It's yeah, it, it doesn't. <laughs> that's it's me. such no. a product of its time. But mm-hmm. but it's still it's still full yeah. of glorious melodies and incredible sentiments. And yep. so and that's what this is, too. So it's great. Right. I liked it. Um, all right, up next, we are going to move into a category calling art for art's sake. Um, and this a very small one, category this year, very small with, one yeah. with respect to passing, which truly was an yep. art for art's sake film, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, this Better one, hurry. 
a movie that has been called uh, Apex Wes Anderson. <laughs> and uh, it is the French Dispatch of the Liberty, Kansas Evening Sun. Such, I mean, just right there. It's just a yeah. total, it's total bullshit, you know. That's why it's in the art for art's sake category. Wes Anderson, I don't know. I mean, if you like Wes Anderson, how can you not like this? It's it's it, which it, I we do keep saying I not... this, but it, it's like how many more dials can you know? How many more like Spinal Tap numbers are there on the Wes Anderson amplifier? This is <laughs> this is so quirky and so weird. Yeah. What I like about it a little better maybe, or why I think it's maybe a greater artistic achievement than something like Grand Budapest Hotel or, uh, or what's the scout one where they're on the Island and they run away from home. Um, uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. Why I think I like it better than that is I think this film, that film has hints of those films have hints of it. Certainly they've got their own dark moments in them, but they're so, and the, his, his animated dog movie as well. They're so whimsical. And this film flips the script just a little bit. There's some real serious stuff going on in it, interpersonally mm-hmm. and historically. And the whimsy just kind of latches onto that and won't let go. But it's a different journey than we've been used to from his previous films. And honestly, I think that's going to make people like it less. Because something like Moonrise Kingdom is meant to enchant you. And it's a, it's yeah, yeah. A really just a romantic thing so is grand budapest they're these broad sweeping stories and they've got heroes and lovers and all this stuff this has that too but these heroes are weird and complicated and we're not sure if we really agree with their philosophies or not and or why revolution breaks out in a certain spot or you know what our place as reporters are in it and in Mm -hmm. the case of this story what is what is a journalist's connection to something and yeah. and how do they is, is is their job objectivity? What 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 is it they're supposed to be doing? Yep. It's really Let me give the storyline. Let me give the storyline real quick, just because it is a Wes Anderson. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I think this is not a bad one. Uh, (laughs) Faced with the impending dissolution of the French Dispatch, uh, a factual weekly report on various subjects, old school editor-in-chief Arthur Howitzer Jr. assembles the creme de la creme of the magazine's loyal expatriate journalists for one final issue. But that isn't even what it is. But uh, fine. Uh, that is yeah, at least I, how I it mean, starts. I mean, I can give you more. No, I can no, give you more. No, okay. Plenty. Um, look, <laughs> it it is a movie that isn't what it is. You have to take. You have to. I mean, you don't have to take it on those terms because it's entertaining enough for what it is. But it's weird. It's it's weird and stagey and strange and it's it's. I'm thinking of the scene with those guys in the bunk beds. You know, remember that scene? It's just like. It's. <laughs> I mean, I haven't. I have not. I, I we haven't seen it as, okay. much as, well, love, as much as I love Wes Anderson. I have not seen this one yet. If you love Wes Anderson, you're gonna love it. But you yeah. need to be warned that it's that it's a much trickier thing to emotionally get into than his previous pieces, which I think, although strange and odd, certainly have been very easy to get into. They just they just have been. And it goes to show if you if you can't watch Grand Budapest and enjoy yourself, then you just don't like Wes Anderson. Which is sure, give him up because that's as enjoyable a movie as he's capable yeah. of making. Yeah, and this isn't. This has got a lot more going on, and it. it's. I found it very enjoyable because I just find the. I, I just. I mean, he's such a unique voice in cinema. 
He's yeah. not making uh, it, thi- he's not off on the edge like Lars von Trier or some of the true crazy avant-garde artists. Uh, he tours, makes these yeah. light human stories truly. So, you know, they're 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 meant to be inviting to us, but he's mm-hmm. got such a unique cinematic voice. That and unconsciously and without malice, he just f you to everybody who isn't on this wavelength. I can't tell a story any differently than this, and I'm not going to try. I I find that just every time I see a movie like that from somebody like him, and there's only a few, I just feel like it's so great. This yeah. you know, it's the it's all the cinema we're lacking from all the superhero films out there, all just crammed into two hours. And right. and so I find that a tonic for what frustrates me about modern movies. But other people, other people are just going to find it. It's the dumbest thing ever that they just can't stand. And all reactions are valid. But right. you know, like, yeah, I mean, he is. I mean, it's he's definitely a, um, you know, he, yeah, you, I can't again, I can't say it any better than you. He's ha- he has this unique voice that nobody else has. You can, you know, you can look at a single frame of a Wes Anderson film and go, oh, yeah, that's a Wes Anderson film. Well, and the reason it's tolerable is because you just feel he's compelled to do it this way. This is him being 100 percent authentic. Right. Yeah, he's he's not capable of making the types of mercenary decisions we keep bringing up in this show. He just sure. can't do it. He, this is it. This is it. And it's, well, and he I is also he, he's also a filmmaker that isn't necessarily he's not out to challenge you and you know and make you feel like oh and no. force you to confront and blah blah blah. No, no. he's just telling a story. He just happens his to way. tell it his way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Let's move on to uh, Power of the Dog. Oh, this movie. Man. <laughs> America. You really, really. And I don't mean to say this. And I don't oh get up. I don't. I. I, you know, you hear how I just talked about Wes Anderson. I don't get up on my artistic high horse very often and tell you all how stupid you are. But you just are so stupid when it comes to this film. I've read these reviews. Well, nothing happened. Nothing happened. It's so boring. I like Westerns. And this was really boring. And nothing ever happens. And it's yeah. unpleasant. And it's boring. And it's just like, okay, it's slow. Slow does not equal bad when it comes to cinema. And if you think it does, then you and I have nothing to talk about. You can just not talk to me about movies anymore. Slow is a pace at which some movies go. It's really as simple as that. Not all movies, not even most movies, not many movies these days, but something, this film is a glorious piece of cinema where something important, something crucial to the inner lives of these people happen in every scene that takes place. The fact that it's shot beautifully and marvelously. And this is a filmmaker who I've, Joel, tell you, I've hardly been a champion of this person throughout the years. I really have not. I haven't because Mm -hmm. I don't like being condescended to by films. And I think a lot of people, okay, they maybe feel a little condescended to here. But your guttural reaction of, I must warn others from watching this because I was so disappointed by what it was. I, I find that, and other people's eagerness 
to take that warning and to wipe something off the map that they have not tried to experience for themselves. I just found the whole discourse around Power of the Dog to be mm-hmm. miserable. And we don't, we really don't, we really do try and just take these things as what they are. And we really do, Joel and I, I think we do this naturally, actually, but we really do try and focus on the storytelling and not get too much into the pretensions of the the thing. This film's cinematography is incredible. It's incredible. But even if it didn't have that, first of all, it's not a Western. It's a, it's a James Hardy-style chamber drama that just so happens to take place in Montana. So if you really were tuning up for shootouts and stuff like that, then yeah, yeah. okay, you got screwed. You yeah. got screwed by the cowboy hat and the poster. But there's lots yeah. of different stories you can be told where a cowboy hat is appropriate that isn't some old-style Western. We'll get to one here in a bit. Um, which has got all the cowboy hats and all the dumb, like fast-paced crap you could ever want from a film. This one... Yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you. I found it so fragile and beautiful. And the, the exact things that people criticized about it were the exact things I loved about it. Mm. Um, you know, the lead character, Cumberbatch, is this weird, unapproachable, ununderstandable guy, but that's his power. You only feel his emotional reactions to things. You only feel his hate, his jealousy. And that, it, it, that makes him more of a metaphor than a person. But in the end, he's... He's not that anymore. If you can no longer see him as a person, you know, at first you only see him as a threat. You only see him from Kristen Dunst's character's perspective or Jesse Plemons' character's perspective. The fact that I hear that nothing ever happens with those characters, nothing ever happens with Kristen Dunst's character. You literally... Okay, it's figurative. So I was about to use literally in a Gen X sort of (laughs) non-liberal figurative way. Sorry, I, I yeah. it shows you that I'm being a little hyperbolic. All right, back on track. You figuratively, but in a yeah. very tangible way, Joel, watch yeah. her soul break in half in this movie at this moment. And if you can't see it, then you're not looking close enough because it's there. You might say, "Well, I wouldn't react that way," or, or why does her why is her husband so useless? Jesse Plemons is terrible in this. He doesn't do anything. Well, that's exactly correct. Not only does he not do anything, even though he's a pretty nice guy, he's never going to do anything. Think about that for a second. Yeah. He he saves the day only by his presence, and he's never going to change anything that's fundamentally wrong here. mm -hmm. It makes somebody else have to step in and change things, or we're all on the road to ruin. And what's that decision? And when does it happen? It right. happens on screen. It happens before your eyes. I, I haven't even watched this twice. And I was not, n- without knowing what was going to happen, I was following it. And I don't think I'm a better viewer than you. I maybe watch a few more movies than you. But, and maybe some of you loved this. Good for you. Even right. if you, even if you didn't love it, I call on you to stop calling it stupid. It's anything but. I call on you to let your friends and neighbors make up their own minds about it for the love of God. I certainly say that to the people who are listening to this show. I don't remember to say it for every damn movie, Joel, but we say it a lot, don't we? You might feel differently. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I you mean, might connect we... with this in a way that I didn't. You know what I'm saying? I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought um, Power of the Dog was, I thought it was it, spectacularly good. 
It's uh, it's I mean, to listen to you talk about this, I feel a little bit like a, a time machine because it feels very similar to how people reacted to the piano. Yeah. Another the, Jane Campion film. People were turned off by the piano because it was obtuse, but the piano had two things that that Hollywood loves. It had a character who didn't had Harvey Keitel's penis, right? It, okay, three things. I was going to get to Harvey's wang flapping around. That was very memorable. <laughs> but the two things it had, it had a main character uh, who had some affliction. We all mm-hmm. love That's when a true. Hollywood star mm-hmm. shows up. In this case, she couldn't talk. Everybody talked about how awesome her performance was because that her performance was pretty awesome. But that. And I've argued that to this day, that made it easier. Not having yeah. to talk and just live in the emotional reality in your body and your face is is it's maybe not the easiest task for an actor to take on, especially in a marathon like the piano. But it's it's easier than having to marry someone else's words with what you think your idea of their emotions is. That's mm-hmm. the job of acting. Holly Holly Hunter didn't have to do that in the piano. She just flat out didn't have to do it. They didn't have to do that work. Which yeah. I think is the hardest part of putting a performance together. Um, otherwise, her performance is, I mean, it is awesome. The other thing it had was it had this plucky kid that no one had ever seen before who shouts at the top of her lungs in every scene, all kinds of crap. And we gave that kid an Oscar as well. It's true. She turned out to be a relatively good actor, but that we, uh, yeah, we worship mean- those sorts of things. This film doesn't have any of that. It's, it's sure. such a... Even though the characters are all capable of speaking it, it's so much quieter and so much under the surface. I understand that, but I don't understand the hatred for it. I really don't. Yeah, I, I yeah, and that's what I mean. Is I just, I, I mean, I remember people having a pretty visceral reaction to going to to the piano and specifically saying nothing happens. I mean, nothing really happens. It's you know, it's like you're sitting there and all of a sudden. There's Harvey Keitel's penis, and you're watching this, and the kid, and then they, what? Yeah. They, uh, they had the same it. reaction yeah. to Portrait of a Lady. They had the same reaction That's to true. all of Jane's films over the years. She's a, she's a filmmaker who tells the same story over and over and over again. We said that it's a different setting. They're different narrative challenges, different characters, but the story in form is the same. Um, but this is her oh, best. It's her best movie, I think. By a long shot, and I just, I and I think it's a really, really strong film, and I think people, people not being able to relate to it on the terms of how things work in their lives and on their phones, and it just it, that disconnect and that unwillingness to try and understand and empathize, I, I find it. Uh huh. I'm ashamed of it, truly. Um, I, I hate it. So, but I, I love Power Dog. So. Let's talk about, tell me a little bit about The Green Knight, because I loved the trailer for The Green Knight. I have not seen it yet. <laughs> well, how could, uh, it, how could it not make a great trailer? Because it's got so much great visual stuff in it. Yeah. Um, it's a, the Green Knight. It's the, medieval, sto- the medieval story of Sir Gawain and The Green Knight. Um, this, again, art. it's in the art for art's sake category. Even though it's a fairly expensive fantasy adventure tale, it's, a, it's an art, artistic. Although... The funny thing about The Green Knight is The Green Knight's been made into a movie before with Sean Connery. Anybody remember that one? No. No, nobody does because it was barely shown here. I do not here remember it's, that. It's horrendous. <laughs> but Miles is O'Keefe it... as G- Sir Gawain and... Uh, it and made people forget Sean about Connery Zardoz. The Green Knight. It's very Zardoz-like, I have to say. Um, the Green Knight 
is sort of Zardoz like too in that it is is sort of impenetrable. The 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 journey he goes on, the task he has to fulfill, the trick, the mean trick that's played on him early in the film that yeah. he then has to face the consequences for later is weird. It's this weird pagan absurd thing. Like if you just go back and study what the actual story is, it's it's uh, you know nice of the round table adjacent without question but it it it's so odd and it, it, each of his trials are so sort of strange and mystical and the whole thing is like a it's like a weird medieval drug trip that you go on with him full of hallucinations full of spirits that do that behave strangely full of mm-hmm. uh just images and things it gets this it's a beautiful film, which is again why, part of why I love it. I love how weird it is because I was, I know the story, and it, it couldn't not be weird. So I love that the film just embraces the oddness of each sequence, like every telling of uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. It, it, there's this whole second half of the second act where he shows up at this big estate, and this all this weird stuff happens, and that. Le- from a tra- from our our Western storytelling, well, this is a Western story. It comes from ancient England, but mm-hmm. but it 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 lets every version of this down cinematically. Because I think if it were just these weird trials with these ghosts and spirits and things like, I think you could sort of learn to cope with that by the time you got to the ending. But the film, then the story doesn't have a big ending. It's got a weird ending that's hard to explain. Um, and hard to kind of wrap your brain around and, and worse, it has this whole sort of strange otherworldly soap opera that has to play out before you can get there. I think those two things are always tough, but this is as good a telling as that story as you're ever going to see. It's such, such self-assured filmmaking and Dev Patel so good in this, in the, in the main role as uh, this guy who's from the word go is so completely in over his head with everything he encounters and the lesson that he has to learn almost from a muscle memory standpoint, because his intellect is incapable of learning it. He has to be bludgeoned into learning it. That's really (laughs) what the story is about. Um, It's, it's awesome. Like it's, they don't make them like this for a reason. Because a lot of people saw this. It's got terrible, terrible user reviews on it. Despite critics liking it. I'm a critic who loved it. But, you know, your mileage is going to vary. I feel like I don't... Ha- this movie made a lot of money, at least. It's a, it was a big hit. So the filmmaker's next film is going to be something. Um, so I don't feel like I quite have to a- advocate for it like I do Power of the Dog, which is just universally hated by people who should know better. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people liked this for what it was. I mean, what you know... What is we we've seen that we've been exposed to the Disney versions of these old legends to so much so that we don't realize the real weird absurd horror that is at part of the actual tales the Brothers Grimm tales the King Arthur legends Beowulf I mean you really look at what these things are they're this they're weird and they're there's a lesson in them but it isn't one it's one that if we were all eager to learn it it, it wouldn't be there you know what i mean it wouldn't be necessary and so i i dig it for that reason very very much so in fact very so I cool i mean yeah a lot. i have a feeling i'm gonna like it it's just it's well, you know, it's it, kind of... it's it's not fair 
that the movie yeah. studios, you know, what's Lionsgate going to do? It's super weird. Right. Be careful. You might not want to <laughs> watch it. I mean, that's not how yeah. they're going to sell it. So they're forced to sell it for its visual splendor and the fact that it's this weird fantasy. You know, I get that, but it now now you've heard our little review. I haven't spoiled a single second of it for you. So, but you at least hopefully going into it prepared, you might enjoy it. I I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's worthy basically. Right. Right. Um all right. Let's move on. Um so I mean, I think as you as you chart the trajectory of storytelling by Ben Affleck and uh, Matt Damon, mm-hmm. I think the natural, which we're kind the, of forced the, to do in our generation, well, sure. aren't we? Yeah, the the natural progression does lead from Goodwill Hunting to a movie about uh, a medieval duel. Uh, and, and this one is called The Last Duel. It's Ridley Scott's last, The Last Duel. Uh, King Charles VI declares that Knight Jean de Carouge settled his dispute with his squire by challenging him to a duel. Um, the duel had something to sell. I don't, you know, I get that this is a spoiler in and of itself, so spoiler alert for The Last Duel. I really do think this came out in most of the discourse over it. Of course, the reality was there wasn't anywhere near. This is the start of our movies to talk about. Yeah. Category. So we're moving on from art for art's sake. All this certainly has plenty of that in it. It's Ridley Scott. He's never made a non-glossy big commercial film, even if he's one of the more visually, you know, uh, innovative commercial director is he's still totally a commercial director and this sure. film was supposed to reach a wide audience and was supposed to be a big hit it's got big movie stars in it um it's got this salacious you know jealousy story of jealousy and ambition at the heart of it and all this stuff and you're supposed to want to see that we want you're supposed to want to see adam driver and matt damon clash swords together over a disagreement that sounds fun it is to a certain degree but the real thing that this film has is it's got these three 40-minute or so acts told from one specific point of view. First, Damon's character, then Driver's, and then Damon's mm. character's wife. The same story told three times by three different perspectives. Why mm. didn't the advertising tell you that, that that's what you're going to see? They They almost hid it from you. They wanted... And they wanted to show how clever they were when you got to the third one and realized what you were seeing, you know, and it is revelatory when you're watching it in the film, the, we see lots of events that our perspective characters are only privy to from their point of view. We also see the same event happen three times from a different point of view and see how the details are different. So it's that, Mm. that's the game of the movie. And I think a lot of people still don't know that. And I think that's weird. I don't know why. I don't know why they didn't. I just, that's what they should have sold. Maybe that wouldn't yeah. have sold, but that's what it is. And that's what they should have sold. In in my opinion, Fox definitely tried to sell this thing. Fox being Disney now. Ridley Scott even said, you know, this was a Fox deal that Disney had to take on. And I, I was expecting, because it's not a Disney-like picture, I was expecting them to 
blow it off, basically. And he thought they didn't. He thought they did a great job of selling it for all the excitement stuff. And he said, it's just people. People just don't want a story like this. They don't want to engage with anything that's complicated like this. They don't want to really go through anything that's unpleasant like this. Um, it's a deeply unpleasant film. It shows medieval times with no rose-colored glasses on whatsoever. And and it shows what how potent those different perspectives can be. And it's yeah. got three different amazing actors. We've already said uh, Adam Driver, Matt Damon. Who's the woman's name? Judy Con- Comer? Uh, yeah, jo- Jody Comer. Yep, Jody, Jody Comer. Um, who's the star of the thing, really? When it, By the time it's over, it's her movie. She's amazing in it. And uh, Ben Ben Affleck has a very showy uh, kind of mm-hmm. like his reminds me not so much in in uh, style but in form. It reminds me of his his role in Shakespeare in Love, um, and he's great. He's he's great at that. He's great at that. They're all playing yeah. French people, so the fact that they don't have English accents is nice. It's Americans playing ancient French people. That's fun. And one French person, thankfully, mm-hmm. the lady in question. Uh, it's good, man. It's such a, it's a really, really good movie that got an unfair shake, and that everybody should try again now on streaming. And the fact is, its streaming numbers are through the roof. This really was a movie, right? That, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't going to get our age to come out and watch it during COVID. It's just not, it's not compelling enough to get our butts in the seats over that. It was never going right. to get the kids. Ridley, he might be bitter about that, but he must have known that before he even made the thing. This isn't for them. How could it be? This is a complicated adult movie with no easy mm-hmm. payoffs. Even though it has a big duel at the end, there's no justice in it whatsoever. And you know, so he had to know that the talk of it was going to be complicated. What, what they right. didn't guess was that no one would even talk about it because nobody had even seen it. Right. There were more uh, I, Huffington Post-like shares of the little clips from the promotional interviews than there was any real discourse about the film, and that's because people... There was it. more talk about uh, Matt Damon's weird mullet than yeah. there was about the film itself. Right, because Matt Damon oh. has a weird mullet in medieval France. I mean, yeah. so and that's what you want to focus on. It just blows my mind. I mean, that's... Yep. Yeah, it is weird. It's a weird, ugly mullet. But that, yes, that's right because that's probably what it was. I mean, yeah, I, I don't, don't yeah. understand. And, and maybe, and maybe, maybe don't you go? Hmm, I wonder if there's a reason for that. You know, seriously, uh, Joan Rivers, just stick to the red carpet then. I mean, if seriously, if that's all you can talk yeah. about is the hairstyle, but you're not wrong. I mean, that's no, I, those I mean, people I, were never going to be into this. So it's not even yeah. a even as good as it is. It's, it was not even going to be a big awards season film, really. Right. So what is it? Really big, expensive failure. But it's such a noble failure that I really recommend people watch it anyway, even though it's long and super unpleasant. Right. It's really gross Um, and awful. All right. Um, All right, folks from Power of the Dog, you wanted cowboy hats? Mm. We'll give you cowboy hats with our next film. Uh, The Harder They Fall. Uh, This is a Western... You know what's cool about this western is that it, it it's not a western about uh, African American cowboys where the white guys are the bad guys. It's this posse of African American law people and African American 
uh, what do you call them? Bandits basically. And it's based on this true life feud between these two, uh, African-American kind of stars of the old West. Sure. Sure. Some, some might even say based on the incredible true story. Yeah. But that would, no, I know. You might say that for last duel too, but in both cases, that would be a big, (laughs) big stretch. Um, (laughs) they are based on things that actually happened, but beyond that, they're just, they're full of themselves and full of it. But that doesn't have to make for a bad movie. In this case, I think it 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 does in the end make for a bad movie. Despite Idris Elba, despite um, Regina King, despite the Lakeith Stanfeld, who's actually really good in this film, and wish mm-hmm. I wish desperately he was in a different movie. Um, this movie's just it. I've complained about it before, and I've admitted, and I'll admit again. It may be something culturally that I'm not attuned with. But the bad guys in this movie, early in the film, massacre the entire contents of the passenger train, and they do it as a as a joke. It's done as a punchline, and then hmm. at the end, they're standing in a room where everybody's dead, and they start crying over their weird connection to each other, and then they talk about their legacies and what they're what how they what they mean to each other and i can't cannot even in over a two-hour period go get from point a to point b ever i will never be able to do it i i i don't want to be rigid in my thinking about this i'm trying to adapt to this actually as this becomes more and more the style but i just can't do it i i can't watch five different movies being made in these different chunks throughout the thing and be able Mm. to handle it or cope with it or, or even frankly, which is what I really want to do when I'm watching a movie, just accept it for what it is. This style prevents me from doing that. And this movie is so all over the place in terms of crazy, wicked, wild melodrama, extremely terrible, uh, like ironic violence. And it just it makes jokes and it, and then it gets serious and you just don't know what it is. You don't know what it's right. trying to be. Um, and I, I hate that. That said, Lakeith's Lakeith Stanfield just focus on him for a second. Cause I just <laughs> liked his take on this guy so much. He's a gunfighter. He's probably the best ever. It's that kind of guy, but he's so weary of it all. And the a good guy, he's a bad guy in the thing. He's this quiet henchman, which is a character I always sort of appeals to me. Going back to my days uh, with Zestrazzi, Master of Discipline, there's a quiet henchman in that too that I got to play. Didn't get to do much sword fighting, but got to at least read the part, which is, was a part that meant a lot to me. And and this guy's that guy. Like he's more than capable of killing everybody in the room, but he just, he kind of, let's see if I can get away with not doing that. He's done it before, but he's just tired. And that I love that. There's this price your soul pays. And he's not yeah. going to turn the other cheek. He's not going to turn the leaf and become a different person at this point. But I'm going to see, here's this kid. Here's, the, here's my other guy on the good guys, right, who's coming at me, who's also a really brilliant gunfighter. And I'm going to see, maybe I, maybe I can get through this movie without killing this kid. That's the take on it. I found that fresh and wonderful. You know what I mean? And I thought that was kind of mm-hmm. I like. I, it's not that I don't like Idris Elba or uh, the guy who plays the hero in the movie. I can't remember that actor's name. It's certainly uh, not that I don't like. His name is Jonathan Majors. He's a pretty good actor. You know, it's not that I don't like Gina King. It's not that the movie doesn't look pretty good or isn't exciting. 
it just it, it it was directed by a guy who it's really weird. He's only made he's only directed two movies. They're both westerns, Joel. I find that strange. Yep. Uh, they're both weird counterculture westerns. The earlier western has no good reviews for it. This has a ton of good reviews, but I really. Well, I shouldn't put words in people's mouths or try and read people's minds, but I really feel like it's a film that feels like you're supposed to like it. So you better, you know what I mean? And, and I just, I didn't, it's by a guy who has started his career out as being the musical director, sort of the music supervisor for a whole bunch of films. And it feels like that. It feels like a bunch of music videos in succession that while they tell the same story, don't have anything else in common with one another. Mm. Um, that said, there's enough, uh, there's enough visual flourishes and stuff on display that I wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, um, boycott his next film, but I hated this film and I wanted very much to like it. I feel like I was, I feel like not completely, but at least to some degree on the periphery, I was the kind of person this movie was made for. Not like people come to see Westerns anymore. They don't. They flat out don't. So you've right. got to be kind of a movie fan to even want to get in on that level. And I feel if you're a movie fan, then, and not just somebody trying to pass the time with the latest whatever, you you, you got a chance with that person. And this, this film just, it's totally spoiled my goodwill in a really frustrating way. Hmm. Those tears at the end, man. I just, I never felt like, <laughs> I was, I was, I mean, I wasn't mad, but I was like, yeah. All of you, come on. Right. How on earth was I supposed to get here with you? How? Uh, how? I don't know how. It's not that, oh, you didn't earn the big moment. It's all full of big moments. It's that, is this is what it is then? God, unbelievable. Like, I just felt like, no way. You shouldn't be feeling like that at the end of a film. So that's my take. Um. Hey, remember when we uh, ranked and uh, did all of the Bond movies? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, um, in oh, a, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Absolutely. We thought we could do it all crazy. in one show. We did. We tried. We, we, we did all the Connery out. and Roger Moore Bonds in one show. Yep. Pretty impressive. We gave it a we And gave then it once a go. we couldn't do it in one show, we're like, well, let's just take the next nine shows to finish this thing. Yep. Up. Um, so if you ever want to spend a month um, <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> you can listen to us. Uh, it's all, but, just kidding. It's only three shows. No. Still. Like the like the tagline says, uh, which I believe uh, is somewhere here on my thing. Uh, it. Uh, oh, my God. Where is it? The tagline is um, all stories have an ending or something like that. <laughs> I had it here. Well, I had it, and then it went away. All evidence to the contrary. Uh, I am DB. I am DB. Why are you doing me like this? You made Joel uh, look so silly in front of all yeah. the people most important to him. Oh, uh, I don't really care what it said anyway. So yeah. I don't know if the anyway. Well, it was good. that was part of my. It was going to be my segue. It was uh-huh. going to be my my thing. Anyway, we're talking about No Time to Die, the final movie in the uh, Daniel Craig james bond uh series um yep um and it it it's Mm -hmm. too late now to go back and do these differently but the biggest weakness that the 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 daniel craig bond movies have is that they're a saga that has 
bent over backwards to try and have continuity, even though it's changed its mind about what it is three times in five movies. This has no choice. This is the last Daniel Craig Bond movie. You've made a saga. You have, in ways that defy proper explanation, tried to connect all this crap together that's happened in each of them. And now you that the final film has to sort of be a payoff to that. Uh, and within those constraints, this is a pretty good movie. It's got some really exciting scenes in it. Um, it, it, it really has some exciting stuff in it. Nothing that we really haven't seen before in a Bond movie though. This film doesn't really manage anything new per se, but it tries to keep its focus on, and you heard me pre complaining, dare I say, (laughs) about how they were going to wipe the kind of previous movie off because I just didn't see how you can deal with Spectre without just getting rid of it and starting fresh. I really didn't. I couldn't imagine them continuing on from the end of that film because it's so nonsensical at this point, but they, I was wrong. They do do that. And that's to their, that's not a criticism. That's, they might've had an easier time of making a more conventionally satisfying film had they cut the cord somewhere there but to their credit they didn't they take those relationships seriously that that uh the love affair between Leia Sidhu's character and Daniel Craig that we're meant to believe in at the end of Spectre which we only barely do if we do it all right. is part of the thing that drives this movie which is great i mean i i i love that i love that you committed to that i i really do appreciate that because you can't, because fan, you know, people like to have all their connections made and their their sort of connect the dots to be all like to show you a complete picture. But they don't. Uh, they also like to just complain bitterly and constantly about the thing they didn't like and the other thing, and they really want to erase that thing. Yeah. And this the this series has a little bit of both in it. They're mostly good movies. I think all of them, to one degree or another, but. This was the big ending, and we'll probably talk about it more as the show's going. I'm not really going to focus on it. I'll just say that for this iteration of this character, it 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 has an ending. It comes to a close that um, might be bittersweet for some, but is is as satisfying a thing as we could have expected from a character standpoint. Would would I have liked a better plot? Yeah. Would I have liked? the movie to be its own thing in a vacuum that I could just enjoy by itself more than I can. Yes. Would I've liked it to be half an hour shorter than it is probably. But, but at this point with these writers and it's the same people been doing these all along it, it, they had a couple of key things they had to pull off in no time to die. And, and they, and they, they did it. They did it. And that's, so good job. I mean, yeah. you, you did that part of it. That, and that in another that wasn't going to be easy and they did it. So I'm I'm impressed by it in that way. I just I feel like oh boy, here we go. I just feel like oh, here it is. It's it's an yeah. origin story. It's just it's this saga. You know, it's all the things the Bond movies aren't. They're true non-sequitur standalone adventures that have their own value and they have their own internal reality. And one can be very different than another. And that's the glorious thing about them. They can take on the personality of the writers and the filmmakers that are working on them. I feel like this shows that we're not doing that anymore. And I feel like any further bond adventures are just, are going to do that 
with even a clearer roadmap or whatever. And I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, normally I like that and I could like that going forward, but I feel like that's not what this series has been. And I feel like frankly, this series hasn't really done a very good job of that when it, as it's been attempting. That doesn't yeah. mean it hasn't accomplished some other cool things, but it just hasn't done a very good job of that. And now that that's the focus, I feel like, eh, I don't know. I don't know what you do with that. Right. could be tough. All right. Well, let's um, talk about the other big giant movie series that had a new movie um, this uh, th- this past year. Uh, the return, the return of the Matrix in the Matrix Resurrections. Um, there's a scene early on in the Matrix where this video game that, uh, what's Neo's name in the Matrix? I can't remember now. Uh, uh, I believe it's, uh, yeah, David Anderson. Anyway, Mr. Anderson. Thomas Anderson. Thomas, Thomas Anderson. thank you. There you go. That sounds right. Anyway, where Thomas Anderson's being told, hey, we're going to do a sequel to your biggest selling game ever, your video game. Um... And he's like, well, I've, I don't want to do a sequel. And he goes like, yeah, but we have a new parent company now and they want a sequel. And so we're going to do it. And we're either going to do it with you or without you. Decide, you know, um, we we want to do it with you. And you really do feel like Lana Anderson like, <laughs> or Lana Wyckowski. This is like literally yeah. a conversation that took place yeah, yeah. in her oh, life. It's, it's, it is this weird, it is this weird meta moment where you're just like, what yeah i mean it's it's really uh it's really yeah it's kind of fascinating well matrix resurrections is that what it's called yep is a meta movie for better or worse it's spoiler alerts for worse it's for a lot worse <laughs> actually uh, people who hated the matrix sequels and we liked the matrix sequels joel and i i particularly liked them um not so much for what they are on the surface, but for the deeper meanings. This film is deeper meanings, and it lacks something on the surface that it needs to work. I'm not 100% sure what that is. It was supposed to have Hugo Weaving in it. That would have helped. It was never mm-hmm. supposed to have Lawrence Fishburne in it, although he was available and willing to do it. So it needed a better reason to not have him in it than I think it provides as a film. I'm not sure what the behind-the-scenes stories are. Yeah. But if you want to go back to the Matrix, let's go let's go back to the Matrix, you know what I mean? This film doesn't quite pull that off. For a 200 million dollar film, it costs more than both the Matrix sequels combined. It it also doesn't feel innovative or interesting or fresh or like it creates really anything new that those yeah. films did. I don't know that it's a bad film. I don't think so. I I like the idea of I like that the peg is this is our lives, you know. This was what we were going through when we were transitioning. And I don't mean to say we, because Lily Wyckowski very famously had nothing to do with this. It's the first movie that the Wyckowskis haven't made together since they started making films way back from when they just started writing screenplays in their free time. And it, it, whether I don't know particularly what Lana or Lily bring to each project, but it feels disjointed in that there's a disconnect in it where you feel Mm -hmm. like this is only half the thing. You know what I mean? Um, I didn't hate it, but I was very disappointing to me because I felt like I, I was very dubious that this was worth doing, but like the film says, we're doing it. <laughs> so at least Lana, Keanu, everybody got on board. Um, it's not as good as the, sum of its parts though. And some of its parts are just baffling and silly. 
And I just, I felt bad feeling that. I, I felt yeah. bad watching it. Like I felt bad for it. It had my sympathy, you know, it's like, oh, uh, uh, poor, poor Matrix Resurrections. You're really trying <laughs> here and it, it's just not working. Yeah. This just wasn't meant to be. It wasn't supposed to be. Matrix Revolutions, love it or hate it, it's fine to hate it, but love it or hate it, it has a, it, it made its point. It's, it made its point so beautifully, actually, with the sunrise. You know, we talk about it in our Matrix deep dives and this movie's just like, this, this movie's needed. This movie's mm -hmm. point is let's make more money with the Matrix. And even though a, a, an artist really tried to tie that into something meaningful and make it good for us, it just they kind of weren't capable of doing it. And I feel bad for it on that level. It's it's a shame. I I, I thought I, I told Joel, I'm like, I hate that they're doing this. We talked about it when they first made the announcement. Then the then the articles started coming out, and I was like, eh, "So it's a bad idea. Yep. I shouldn't do this." And then the trailer came out, and I was like, "And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to watch the trailer. That can't help, you know." <laughs> but then I then I did watch the trailer. It just it came up. It like was the next video that played after I watched something else. You know, stupid. Yeah. YouTube, you know me too well. <laughs> and then and then uh, and I so I found myself like without changing the channel or without even thinking, I was just watching it. And I'm like wow, this is a cool idea for a sequel to The Matrix. I mean, this could work. This yeah. could really be cool. And then the buzz started coming out. The actors are like, it's like nothing you've seen before. It's a really different yeah. kind of blockbuster storytelling. And I'm like, okay, okay. And I fell into the trap of, now I'm sitting down to watch The Matrix on New Year's Eve or whenever I watched it. And now I'm really excited. <laughs> and just, just slowly, yep. not all at once, but slowly just sinking into, you know, not worthless, but... Yep. only slightly better than worthless like that's yeah not good it um yeah i mean it was i i mean i started getting excited for it um once i heard um an interview with keanu reeves and he was like i had no interest in coming back and then uh he was like i i and i'm like and so then um so then lana calls me and said hey do you want to come do matrix or and he's like um i died eh? what and, and he's and and she's like let me send you the script and you'll see what you know you'll see how it works and he is like and she and i said okay but unless you figure out a way that um that he comes back that i'm not gonna be like what um I, I, then I, you know and and she and so he's like i read it and i'm like all right i'm on board you you figured out a way it's, and so that got me excited because yeah, yeah. he was, you know, he was like, okay. It's very um, meta. It really is about these outside forces experience mm -hmm. on the matrix. And it's hard to get over that. There isn't an internal logic to it. Uh -huh. That's worth it. And I, that's the part that's frustrating to me is the story isn't even what it is. Yeah. It's always been a feature of the matrix films. What is reality, obviously, but this, this, the 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 conceit didn't have enough merit to warrant another movie the idea behind uh -huh. it it was worthy and interesting and personal and all those things that you want something to be to make it meaningful yeah but the the story within the story is sort of nonsense and frustrating so that was that's my take yeah. on it it's my one person's take on it nobody liked the matrix nobody saw it in the theater uh it streamed pretty well but the bu buzz on it is pretty bad, and it feels like 
it's only going to get worse as time goes yeah. on. It's got that and, and it and it does feel tacked on. It, it It's unnecessarily tacked on. It was always going to um, be tacked on. Yeah. I, I think even the movie admits that right at the top, which I find refreshing. Yeah, but, yeah there is that. But it, 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 it really does. It, it, it doesn't, it really does feel tacked on. That's what you um, All right. Uh, final movie, final movie, Ryan, final movie of 2001 um, for us. Sorry. There's a whole list of things we yeah. talking about. Yeah. There's, the a movie, cutoff, there's a whole bunch. Well, the cutoff for me was, was it streaming? Was I able to watch it before new year's basically? And yeah. If the answer was yeah, yes. I tried, we had... I tried to catch it. And if the answer yeah. was no, then we didn't talk about show. Yeah. sorry we didn't talk about spencer we didn't talk about the i, I can't remember I can't nightmare remember alley we, we didn't about, talk about yeah, west nightmare side alley. story we, had, we didn't talk story. about being ricardo's although i did see that i saw that after i made the list so whatever sure um yeah um, there's a you know we didn't so, talk about belfast there's a lot yeah, of films about that belfast, are going to yeah. be part of the award ceremonies conversation that we so did yeah so we're just like we we are aware we are aware that we didn't talk about but this is our 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 list um, and we're gonna. Do you really want another the... show of this anymore? Anyway, yeah, no. maybe you don't. Uh, yeah, think about it. Um, <laughs> but we are gonna talk about one of the, you know, one of the most talked about films, and and just a real, uh, uh, to me, uh, a real just kind of silly bonkers uh, night at the movies, uh, and that is Don't Look Up. Yeah, I mean, we're sorry. Here we are all about to reach our second hour of this show. Um, although we've had some short ones in this series, at least. Yeah. And here's the most talked about movie, and now we're going to try and talk about it real quick. Right. It's last on the list because of its talkability, truly, because of its newsworthiness. It really sure. was a huge part of the American conversation for a couple of weeks. And right. that's... That's as big an impact, I think, socially that a film can make these days. A a Adam McKay, who is famous for making Step Brothers and, and Teledega Nights, like basically mm -hmm. the more thoughtful Anchorman. of the yep. Anchorman, right, of the Will Ferrell films of their day. Um, and was pretty good at movies like that. As far as movies like that go, Anchorman, Teledega Nights, these are... These are kind of the top tiered, in my opinion, of stupid comedies of of the aughts and the teens. Um, yeah. They're still stupid comedies, but they're the kind of the best ones. And and that's cool. He started, he branched away when he made um, uh, Big Short. Big Short, yeah. Uh, and that movie's, again, it's the same thing. It's meant to be talked about. It's a talker. It doesn't take it, 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 does a little, but it doesn't take its own story super seriously. It keeps breaking from it. It keeps breaking down the fourth wall. It, it, it does it has all these gimmicks in it to tell us stuff. Yeah. And then the next film he did was Vice, the story of the Cheney family with uh, Christian Bale as Dick Cheney. Um, and that film uh, also a skewed conventional biopic format to tell us stuff to, to tell talk at us to tell yeah. us everything to tell us how we should feel by what we just saw to tell us how we're going to feel by what we're about to see um and i didn't completely dismiss those films but i basically hated that approach to filmmaking um i don't like being talked at i i like 
feeling something, going along for the ride. If you're going to tell the story of Dick Cheney, then put me in his shoes if you can, and let's see what it all means. Don't just tell yeah. me what happened. Don't keep stopping things to tell me what's happening. I just think that's completely amateur and stupid, and so I don't like it. Although it has a compelling central performance, you learn a lot about the Cheneys. Like the, it's not something where you just say, "Oh, that's a piece of crap," because it's like that. Mm-hmm. This film, and I saw the trailer for this, and I'm like, "Well, this should be good," because here this sort of ride splits the difference. It 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 feels like Joel said, "Zany night at the movies." Like you're completely divorced from reality here, which means there won't be some lesson that we have to learn or some sort of pedantic message that's going to be beat in in our face that's so oversimplistic that anybody could have it. I was, boy, I was proven wrong on that. Not everybody can get it, apparently, which just blows my mind because what this movie's about is transparently obvious. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like the other, it's like his other films, completely condescending, it's smug in this way that makes you hate it a little, like you'd hate an annoying, obnoxious coworker. But it's also full of pretty broad laughs and some really pretty assured performances, and and it's full of. And this is why I thought it might work. And I think on this level, it really does work. It's full of satire that is that really points the finger at our ourselves in some very, very key ways. I think where yeah. this movie goes wrong is it it's funny enough and it's absurd enough that it lets us off the hook by the time it's over. In fact, it gives us an almost absurdly sincere ending that when the real ending comes in a post-credit scene that I think is pretty brilliant, people were pissed because they were feeling something. And then suddenly they were, they were, Somebody came right. up with them with a raw fish and was like, take this. And you were, didn't know how to react to it. <laughs> but the clown in a satire, the clown should be slapping you in the face. I mean, that's how it works. That's yeah. the whole point of the thing. So, so then why did we have this wonderful feel good, tragic, tragio comic ending? Well, I don't know why I don't really get it in the end. You know, I get that the asteroid is global warming, even though <laughs> we're tweets. It's not about global warming, you guys. It's about an asteroid. Stop yeah. taking it so seriously. <laughs> like you, you did not just tweet that. Yeah. Adam McKay's sitting over here, and he just said it's about global warming. Are you not paying so attention? It's not global warming. What yeah. he said, what he said is, it's, it's not about the pandemic. Although, wow, it really does sort of. Yeah. Like I wrote it before the pandemic, but it's really about global warming. Uh huh. It's not. It's about an asteroid. It's not about you. No, it's totally about us. And it can only be judged by how it works on that level. And the way it works on that level is only about 40-ish percent, you know. Although that 40% is pretty potent. And it's enjoyable. I mean, yeah. I couldn't deny that. I, I, I was super annoyed by it and because, I, like I said, I don't like feeling like I'm to- being talked down to. As soon as I could understand words thing I hated the most in life as just a wee tot was being condescended to in an obvious way. And I've always been uh, the biggest dickish part of myself has always come out in those moments. I've always lashed back irrationally hard at that sort of thing. Even if it's a nice old lady giving me a cookie, don't talk to (laughs) me like I'm a puppy. I'm 
I'm a three-year-old person, you know what I mean? Like, I, I've always been angry at that. And this movie is just, it is that. It's for two and a half hours, it's just, me, 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 me. <laughs> you just, you get, <laughs> okay. it's yeah. upsetting. So, but it's also really funny. I mean, it is really funny. Yeah. The the morning yeah, that, talk that, show that, stuff with Tyler Perry and What's-Her-Face is really and, funny. Uh, yeah, and Kate Blanchett. Uh, Jonah Hill it, I know, find less funny, but uh, I found Mark Rylance really funny in a terrifying way. Oh, my God, yeah. He, he's and, really where the movie is is at its best. It's, it's so funny, so over-the-top and weird, and yet absolutely, yes, this is what – this is where we're at, folks. This is the guy you're hoping saves the day. And you're fools, you know. We yep. all are. Yeah. Um, I didn't think Meryl Streep was great in it, but I thought the material was beneath her. I thought the same for Jennifer Lawrence. I thought she gave it a go, but you know, um, it a little easier for DiCaprio because his character's got a little more to do. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Melanie Linsky, I really loved her. So yeah, Melanie Linsky was great. Um, I, you know, I got I, Timothy Chalamet. Um, uh, he's fun. You know, he was this, really fun. Yeah, his fun. his presence was very fun because he's he, uh, to me that his that actor and that character represented the best of us because he's just this guy who comes along, but he questions a little bit, just a little bit, and learns and gains some perspective. Like these other characters are just they are just yeah. represent a point of view, and that's all they are. I liked that we were introduced to a character who was more than that so late in the game. And it was fun that it was played by a big star. I thought that was cool. So Yeah. Yeah. But um, I didn't like it. And I'm not going to go to bat for it and sing its praises just because I agree with its central premise. Adam right. McKay, and you look at his Los Angeles Lakers TV show that's coming on. He's a smug condescending prick of a storyteller and if that's all he's ever going to amount to i'm not saying he can't be more someday but this isn't it if you can't do better than that man if you cannot connect with us on a human level without telling us what it is you think all the time because you i'm telling you bro you're not that clever you aren't you're not a bad movie maker but you're a shit storyteller and i i challenge you to marry the two things together at some point to at least try and see what you can accomplish, because world's your oyster now. Don't don't look up was. I mean, to me, that's the movie of the year. You can give mm-hmm. whatever you want to the Oscar, but that was the thing. I mean, that was the thing, even more than Spider Man. You know, even more than some of this other stuff, where we were just all, don't look up for you know for a big yeah. chunk of a big news cycle. Yeah, and it's and it was the type of thing that you're like, did you watch? Did, have you seen Don't Look Up? Oh, yeah, I'm not going to talk about it then. You got to go see it. You just got to see it. You just got to see it. That's what, you know, that's what that's what we did for like, you know, like you said, like a good I'm not few warning weeks. audiences against it. You really do have to see it. It's one of those things you got to kind of see. It's yep, it, for it's, that to come along in our culture is kind of a neat deal, but yep, I, I just, this, I don't approve of the approach. It, it is, I, I did yeah. it then, and I, and even with satire, I, I found it a little more palatable because it wasn't satire, but yeah, only a little I mean, more. But like you said, the best the best moments of of satire are those uh, is is the you know the the approach to media and the 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 scenes with Tyler Perry and Kate, Kate Blanchett, um and um and and Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance is just 
you know, look, the everyone is talking about Meryl Streep and and you know, and everyone talks about Jonah Hill, you know, because no, Meryl Streep's like great, Hill. but she just it, but that part could have yeah. been anybody. It did they didn't need Well, Meryl it could Streep yeah, either. and they're you know, and, and and you know, we're supposed to be like, oh my god, she's even more amazing because Meryl Streep can improvise funny lines. No, it's Meryl Streep. She can, you know, she's been doing that. Don't worry, people. Sure, she can do it. Um, but Mark Rylance was uh just a treat yeah. was just a spooky, spooky treat. Yeah, it's fun. Um, it was really yeah, good, so. really good performance by him in a fun role. Where if he's not careful, because he plays a similar guy, you know, in uh, Ready Player One. Ready basically. Player One. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if he's not careful, that's all he's ever going to play because he's so good at it. <laughs> in Ready Player yeah. One, he's sort of this thing that we examine, but, here's- but look up to a degree. In this, he's this. He's this. But here's the thing: he might he might continue to do that uh, in American films, and he'll do you know he'll do his art projects, and he'll he'll do his he'll stretch his legs and other stuff in in British projects and on stage. So you know we'll, we'll have to see we'll have to see what happens. Um, but that's my take on right. "Don't Look Up." I don't I don't I didn't like it, but it, that doesn't mean I, I hate it or that it's the reason for being here isn't potent. It, you can't deny that it was right. And right. I admire that, but with but I, uh, I'll go back to my final thought was truly that challenge to McKay. Yeah, if you're going to be one of the top filmmakers of our day, do you, I it's my belief that you have to do better. Or I'm, or one, there's one critic who's always going to come after you for for yeah. failing on that level. I he's shown enough now that he doesn't it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be the easy way. He right. doesn't have to tell us everything. We can experience stuff. The best stuff in this film, the best stuff in these last three films, are all that. And frankly, the best stuff about his comedies are that. You know, if Anchorman mm-hmm. kept stopping for the Anchorman to explain everything he was thinking and what his plan was all the time, I mean, it wouldn't have been good. It wouldn't have been funny. What's funny is, you know, living your life in the shoes of this madman. It's entertaining and fun, and the 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 parts where you don't understand them are just as fun, if not more fun than the parts where you do. Uh, right. That that doesn't seem to have carried to his serious films, but that's because I don't think his serious films are very serious. I think they are meant to be talked about. And on that level, don't look up was a smashing success. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was meant to be talked about. And it was, I mean, and, and, and it's got some stuff in it that we need to deal with as a, as a race of people. So in that way, I, 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 you know, I'm, I would not have skipped it. I'm not too good for it, but yeah. I just wish um, the storytelling was better, man. It yeah. can be, it and still All be right. zany and crazy and stupid. Yep. All right. Thank you, uh, dear listeners for hanging with us for these last, uh, what, five episodes, six, six. episodes. This is the uh, six. six. This is number six. So uh, thank you. You know, we, we covered a lot of ground and, and we took a lot of time to do it. But we hope that we have given you some some films that you're like, oh, wow, that, that sounds interesting. I'm going to check that out. Um, or uh, they hated that. That sounds interesting. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> um, and uh, and <laughs> but so but we just want to thank you uh, for 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 hanging with us uh, as we talked about the movies of 2021. You can, of course, reach out to us at the movie page with Joel and Ryan uh, on Facebook our YouTube page. If you are watching the video version of this, like, and subscribe, uh, maybe give us a comment. Tell us that, tell us that we're pretty. 
because we are we try to be pretty um and uh and then of course you can reach uh we're also on uh twitter instagram tiktok and you can email us at ask joel and ryan at gmail.com uh, all right next week we'll come up with something um you know we've been uh we've been talking about these movies for a while it's now we're gonna have to engage that other gray matter of our brain to figure out a topic for next week but there will be one we promise you um all right everybody thank you all so much for uh, for joining us and until next week bye 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 2021 thank you for listening to the movie show with joel and ryan Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out.